Hey. That doesn't sound like happy. Okay, you know what, Shin? Welcome to Creative Blog. We're your hosts, Gene. And V, we interview people in the animation industry about their life, work, and hobbies while we doodle jam. We asked people on Twitter if they had specific topics they wanted us to discuss, as well as some drawing prompts. And today with us, we have Shin Park. Yay! <laughs> no, see, I gave Shin the privilege of letting her choose what sound effect I do in the beginning, as uh, listeners know. And uh, and apparently it wasn't good enough. Wasn't good enough it for Shin. It was like a sad version of my dog. Wasn't good you enough. You got a note from production right off the bat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to segue that. Uh, well, today we have a very special episode of Creative Block. We have our first production person, and it is our good friend Shin. We worked with Shin on Loud House, as with a lot of yeah. our guests. We, for many years, we worked on uh, Loud House, and um, you had a crazy journey because you started as a, an intern, right? Mm-hmm. And then you went to production assistant. Then you went to production coordinator and then you production manager and question mark. We'll and see what happens marks. next. Yeah. But yeah, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and uh, what you do. Hey, um, hi, I'm Shin. I mean, that was basically <laughs> like <laughs> an intro in of itself by Gene. But Just setting you yeah. up for success. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anyways, I joined the animation industry in 2016, starting as an intern at Nickelodeon. I mean, technically a couple years before that, my very, very first industry internship was with Cartoon Network. Oh. But yeah, and it was a studio operations internship. So it was basically with like the facilities team and my entire internship experience was checking uh, cabinets in like the bathrooms and the <laughs> kitchens to make sure that cleaning supplies were stocked. But it was a very, very fun. wholesome experience at I the guess. end. <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, I uh, was an intern at Nickelodeon uh, with the Loud House. After my internship, I was hired on as their second PA um, near the tail end of season one. Um, and from there, it's like, it was a pretty straightforward kind of shoot up the production route. Um, I was promoted to a coordinator, then I was moved over to Casa Grandes, which is like the Loud House spinoff, um, to kind of help set up their uh, pipeline in a similar way to Loud Houses. Since, since it was a spinoff, they wanted to basically structure the production pipeline the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after I helped out with CASA, I wanted to kind of diversify my experiences, uh, experience different studio cultures, um, experience different types of management from, you know, different LPs and PMs like line producers and production managers. And so I went over to Netflix to be a production coordinator for Centaur World. And that was a really amazing experience as well. And after Centaur World wrapped up, I had the opportunity to go over to Titmouse to become a production manager for an adult series called uh, Fairfax. And so I was there um, since last year fall, and I recently ended my position over there in mid-April. And so... Yeah, here I am. I guess that's kind of like the most up to date. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think what's really great about you is that like, did you know as a little kid that you wanted to go into animation? 
uh, into animation as a career, I did not know that was a thing until I was in college. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's really great because what was kind of for you, your journey as kind of like navigating through, because, you know, I feel like all parents are going to be like, what are you going to do when you grow up? Like, what is your career going to be? It's like such a big part of like, you know, life kind of, how was that mm-hmm. for you growing up in like middle school and like mm-hmm. high school and that, like, did yeah. you, like, did you have, did you talk to like, how uh, how do you call those in, in like the U.S. like you know with like a counselor? guidance yeah like guidance counselor yeah <laughs> or like how was how was that journey for you so I hmm well I mean ever since I was a kid I never I never knew that working in animation was like a thing honestly for some reason it never really hit me in the brain but then I knew I had like a special relationship with animation because it was honestly kind of the only type of media I really consumed from being a kid to being an adult. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I mean, in elementary school and in middle school and even high school, people kind of knew me as like the more artsy kid, you know, the drawer of the class, like in fourth grade, whenever there was like an assignment where people had to draw a portrait of someone, everyone would just like tell me to do it for them. (laughs) (laughs) And I would, I would draw my picture first and I would give it to everybody to trace over. And so, I mean, I guess that kind of makes it sound like I should have been an artist as I grew up. But um, my older brother is actually a fine artist. He doesn't really do kind of, he doesn't really do like animation art, but he, he is a fine artist with like traditional mediums. And I always saw him as the artist of the family and it really, really hurt my ego. (laughs) And, (laughs) And I knew that like technically of the siblings, I was the one who was kind of more academically focused. And so my parents naturally kind of expected me to be the kid that, you know, one day works for Samsung or works for Hyundai, their like marketing team. And I mean, when I went off to college, I majored in marketing. I later discovered that that was not my thing. (laughs) (laughs) And I like didn't make a lot of friends within like the business school at my college. Mm -hmm. And I naturally started leaning towards all the animation kids at my college and hung out with them pretty often. So you had like an animation division in your school. Uh, What Mm -hmm. school did you go to? Uh, I went to Loyola Marymount University. I feel like it might be kind of recognizable if I say like I was in the same graduating class as Kevin Molina Mm -hmm. and like we were all kind of in like the same friend group and stuff. A lot of, lot of talented Artists. Kevin is a board or a very talented board artist on like Turtles, on Rise mm-hmm. of the Ninja Turtles, and a bunch of stuff. Just so people know, he's he's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, amazing. he's he's amazing. Uh, sorry to name drop you right there, Kevin. Um, he but... definitely listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get him on the podcast eventually. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's delightful to talk to. So so go ahead, try asking him. Um, but yeah, I mean, like. Like other than Kevin too, there's like a whole bunch of really talented and amazing people that graduated out of that class. And I was, I don't know, it's, it was so fun watching them work on their projects while I had to do business presentations and (laughs) go to Ann Taylor to shop for business casual clothing. (laughs) But yeah, so when I went to college, 
I knew that Loyola Marymount was obviously in LA. And for Mm -hmm. some reason, the first immediate thought that came into my mind, oh my gosh, I haven't been drawing. I'm so sorry. It's so hard to talk and draw. It's okay. You drew this big picture in the middle of the screen. Yeah, we should probably say. (laughs) Yeah, you. I I came into the Jamboard, and this Gendo uh, Shinkari was already on screen. So, you That's you achieved great. what? Yeah. Okay. Your quota has been reached. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay. Once we go to the the second page, I'll start trying to draw something. Yeah, um. But yeah, for some reason, when I came to LA, the first thought that came to my mind was, oh. Cartoon Network is somewhere around here. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to try to get in one day. And that's like the immediate thought I had when I was like a freshman. And I remember even looking on their careers website and kind of reading somewhere or something saying that they preferred having like juniors and seniors um, intern at the company. So I was like, okay, I can wait a couple of years. And then, yeah, junior year, I applied online um no references or anything I was just like I'm just gonna apply and see what happens and I was taking a nap and got a phone call and it was Cartoon Network and they asked if I wanted to interview for an internship and that was kind of my first experience um like having a foot in the door in the industry, even Mm -hmm. though, like I said um, before, it was a studio operations internship. So um, I was learning pretty in depth about like constructions on floors and like safety hazards and protocols of where like um, electrical outlets should be. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was such an interesting experience, but that was, the first time I realized like, whoa, of course there are jobs in the animation industry that actually don't require you to be an artist. Um, Like, yeah, like who else does like marketing or publicity or, you know, whatnot. And so, yeah, from then on, I kind of decided that I was going to work specifically in this industry, but still kind of geared towards my major, which was marketing and I did a lot of kind of like marketing research kind of studies and like classes. And so I thought that I could do that. And by the time senior year rolled around, I was applying to as many like marketing internships as I could to Disney and to, to DreamWorks and to, um, well, like at Nickelodeon, I think the closest thing was kind of that department. I can't recall the name but it's like the department where they do all the focus testing with like the kids and stuff oh yeah huh? sure yeah. yeah yeah so that was originally the department that I uh that I applied for at Nick and mm-hmm. one by one from every studio I was able to get like an in-person interview which I was super stoked about but then one by one each of them kept on telling me like yeah. no or they're gonna go with someone else um Aww. or like you know like I'm not what they're looking for and then the last company to give me a response was Nick I got a call they told me I didn't get it and I was like oh no but the person that I was talking to at that time who is um who was Amy Wu and she's still over at Nick was Mm -hmm. like hey but what do you think about animation production um because I really really liked you it's just that um they like the department decided to go with someone else and I I want to see like where else we can um try putting you in this internship um and I said oh well I don't know anything about it but I'm open to it and she's like great 
well, you're going to be interviewing for the Loud House, the, you know, like, look up what the show is about, look up the show creator, um, and good luck. (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) And yeah, I interviewed and I got it. But in like a, in like a, also kind of like a half got it way because I was applying for the fall and they said that I didn't get it for the fall. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I just won't have an internship this year. But then, you know, uh, Sean asked me to come back in the spring. And so, yeah, that worked out because I interned in the spring and I was immediately able to become a PA kind of like right at the same time I graduated college. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that happens a lot. I mean, at least uh at Nick, I I well, first of all, we should say like the internship program at Nick is pretty solid and um and consistent. Like they mm-hmm. the, the time I was there, they brought in so many interns. And I don't know if I've ever seen interns at any other studio. I'm sure they they're around, but the, I feel like the culture there was was good. Like it it really feels like they're trying to, you know, include people in the crews and yeah. um announced that yeah the great thing about like nick is that they don't it doesn't feel like they're pushing their interns aside like it's very very um yeah promoted to you know be involved and ask for informationals and like be part of this nick community like you know they deserve to be there at the studio just as much as the next person um and so it's it's a very very cultivating environment yeah there's like classes and stuff i think I think that like, uh, you know, maybe still people, when they hear internship, they think it's like getting coffee for, for people. And like, that is not at all how they handle internships at Nick. It, it really feels like setting you up for what could be a career path, which is mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I know I was never an intern, so maybe I'm pull, pulling that out of my ass, but I, I no, know that's a lot accurate. Yeah. I, I mean, I just know so many people, like a lot of people who started as interns at Nick and then work their way towards whatever goal they had in mind, be it art or be it production or, or a, uh, administrative job. Like they set you up. And, um, from, from my perspective, like it, it's great because I, you know, I love that you, like you wanted to work in, you, you realized you could work in animation. And a lot of people say that that come on the show, they didn't even know that that was a thing you could do. Which mm-hmm. is funny. I wonder if that's like, if our generation's kind of the last generation that didn't know we could do that. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's also just like, it could probably also be like, just like knowing where to look. Like I know for that's me, true. like when I was, when I was like kind of looking up all those different colleges for animation and all that, I like, I felt like a lot of my peers knew way more than I did because they knew what to look for, like the keywords and stuff. So I don't know. I could see people in the... I was going to ask uh, Shin, what was a typical day as an intern at Nick? A typical day as an intern? Yeah, what was kind of like the internship like? Like what were you So doing? you are kind of like recommended to get there, obviously like early or on time. I was always there like a little bit too early, but that was just because I was commuting from like the west side while Burbank is obviously yeah. kind of closer to the valley. And so it was... Yeah an hour commute in the morning anyways. So I got there really early and essentially I kind of prepared myself with like a list of kind of things I should be doing or the list of things that I wanted to learn about or like questions that I should ask or updates that I needed. 
kind of first thing, just prepping myself for the day. And then right when kind of like the coordinators and the PA comes in, because back then Loud House only had one PA, who was Dean. And so I, once she came into the office, obviously, I don't want to just like bombard someone with questions right at like 9am. I don't think anybody is ready for that. So um, I always gave, you know, people time to settle in, of course. And if I guess they didn't make a stop over to my desk on the way to like coffee or whatever, I kind of gave them time to settle. And then by, you know, 930, um, 920, I would go over and check in with them. And they would basically, depending on if I had already like tasks on my plate or not, they would kind of tell me what I could be doing that day or what I could be helping with. Um, and a lot of the times, yeah, like the internship experience was really cool because it's not just kind of menial tasks, like print this, copy that, you know, get this, but then they also let you do a lot of kind of practice versions of their real life duties. And so I got to do a lot of practice breakdowns, um, which is, uh, I'm not sure if anybody's explained it on your guys's podcast before. No, I think, um, you should, yeah, I would love to hear, hear you explain like the pipeline a little bit from your perspective because I don't think we have talked about it that much okay okay yeah Yeah, that's like an entire different beast (laughs) it probably is yeah but but you know in short yeah yeah so I guess I'll I'll try to uh succinct this this uh answer then um but yeah, a breakdown is when you uh, watch down like a storyboard or sometimes an animatic, depending on the show, every show runs differently. Um, and then kind of frame by frame, uh, you call out uh, what needs to be designed or what could be a reuse. And so let's say that there's an episode with a completely new set of characters, completely new BGs, then almost every you know frame or every panel, you're going to say, oh, we need to design this BG. Oh, like this BG is actually a wider version of this BG back in scene two. So let's actually just design this BG in scene 15 uh, so that we're not doing two BGs or like, oh, this character is doing a special pose here and that's going to be tricky for overseas to figure out. So let's call this out as a special pose and provide them that reference because if we just leave it to to them, then it might not turn out the way that we want it to. So yeah. yeah. Requires like an encyclopedic knowledge of like the assets almost. (laughs) Yeah. You really gotta learn like everything that exists. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely like super duper beneficial if you could kind of be with a production from the get-go and see this library of assets build so that you become more familiar with it. Um, Like my first coordinator that I ever worked with, who was Molly, she like had a freaking like rain man brain. And whenever Mm -hmm. we would break down an episode, she'd be like, oh, that's a prop asset from episode 25. And in this scene used by this person, and it was just super duper impressive. And you wonder, like, how can a person get to that level of being so familiar with the show? But then, like, fast forward a year of working with the same production, it'll naturally happen for sure. Yeah, you just absorb <laughs> stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even you know, me doing working in BGs is just like after a few months you just kind of got get used to what already exists and it becomes like a a, a second language where you're like Mm -hmm. oh yeah I've seen this like I've seen this on the server and so you're just reusing a lot Mm -hmm. it's almost like making it I've heard it described as like an instruction manual for for making a show like the 
production team is putting together the instruction manual because like the artists are doing the assets, but production, it has to put together the, the guide. It's like the, the guide to actually, you know, for the animation studio and, and, um, and whoever to combine all of these pieces into a, into a coherent whole. Mm-hmm. Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah. Yeah. Like a guide to, to, to tell y'all what you should be doing. <laughs> I just, I want to try to like demystify it a little bit because I think it can be very confusing for people who don't work in animation. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's a really great entry level job to, if people are having a hard time getting into the art side, like it's a great place to start and learn and just know more about the pipeline and how cartoons are made so that you'll be smarter going into those art jobs. Yeah, for sure. I honestly, I mean, everybody, everybody is different, but I've had like multiple, very, very pleasant work experiences with artists who come from production backgrounds because they just know what goes on behind the scenes and what is needed and why, because yeah, there might be an artist who receives an assignment and it's heavy and they might be like, why is this so heavy? Or why are you giving me so much work? I don't understand. While um, if a person has production background, then they kind of understand the bigger picture of the reason why we're asking for certain things. And of course, like, you know, and if an artist doesn't have production background and if they have questions, like feel free to come up to production and ask them anything that um, they need clarified in order to make them understand their assignment easier. But definitely like production has so many different tasks and things flying around on their plate that if someone is just able to kind of receive an under, like an mm-hmm. assignment and just understand it right away, it makes things run really, really smoothly. And when yep. you when you talk about an assignment, like what do you mean by that? Do you mean? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it is a little bit different depending on what kind of departments we're talking about, but I guess I'll just kind of talk generally about the design and kind of color departments. Um, so in relation to the breakdown process that I was explaining earlier, um, after we do have that meeting and have those callouts of what assignments are I mean, what assets are going to be like new for the episode or reused from other previous episodes. We essentially kind of put it in a list format as succinctly as possible and uh, provide that list to a designer or to, you know, a painter or a color stylist. And it's basically just kind of like a line by line list of what they need to accomplish for that episode by a certain deadline. I see. Yeah. So um, and then. A lot of the times, depending on um, the type of production, the ones that I've I've at least had experience uh, working on, when artists receive that list, it's just kind of like a hands-off kind of experience after that. Like I just kind of let them do their thing and they just draw, draw, draw. And two weeks later, it's usually done. And I'm just like, cool, thank you. And obviously <laughs> there's, there's reviews and stuff in between. Right. But production's involvement within those reviews are usually dependent on if like the art director wants them there or not. Um, every, every production is a little different. And also forewarning, every production is run very differently from one another. 
even from, you know, like whether it's from studio to studio or even show to show within a studio, it's all really dependent on the experiences of the line producer and the PM and the showrunner. And so my experiences that I'm drawing upon or my advice that I'm drawing um, upon could be different from the next person. So um, yeah, take that as you will. <laughs> yeah, because you're going to have like shows that are CGI, like for example, the that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle um, CGI show. And that's going to be like, like completely different from Loud House, which is Harmony. And that's going to be completely different from even the rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, because even though that's also harmony, it's a completely different style. So like, there's probably going to be even different jobs for the pipeline. Like, I feel like depending on the show, like you're going to have like different numbers of like PAs. Like, for example, Mm -hmm. I've been on shows where you have PAs that are specifically for just a department. Mm-hmm. like story PA or like design PA but like I feel like for Loud House in your case as a PA were you just kind of juggling different departments yeah so my experience on Loud House and on Casa and on Centaur World it was um episodic and so from all the way of receiving the final script from like the writing team to give to the board artist to ship like shipping to overseas we oversaw uh, every step of that. When I was at Titmouse and on the production Fairfax, that was my first time seeing or being part of a team where uh, the production team was divided up by departments. And mm-hmm. so we had a storyboard slash animatic slash editorial kind of coordinator and mm-hmm. PA that assisted her. And then we had a design coordinator and then a color slash shipping coordinator with like a PA floater that helps um, both of them. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's different. And it's, it's almost subjective in like what the producers feel like it needs or what they've learned. I think that's what Via, that's what you were kind of saying. I think too, there's right? like definitely, yeah. And I was also going to say like uh, the show you worked on that tip mouse is a was an adult show mm-hmm. and for me I saw also working in kids and adults I definitely saw that things were broken up way differently for example on adult they would divide up the script by uh, sequences whereas in mm. kids like scripts would usually be either like split half like in half <laughs> and then you mm-hmm. each have like you each have your chunk or like in the um, in, on the Loud House, like there was just one board artist for an entire yeah. 11 minutes. So I feel like that's very, like, yeah, that's also a factor. I think that comes in with the um, specificity of the show. It's not only just a technique. It's not only just like, is it CGI or 2D? But yeah. it's also <laughs> like, is it kids or adults? It's not going to be the same pipeline. <laughs> yeah. Something I think is wild is that there is no like, Studios don't provide you with any kind of starter pack on like starting a show. So when you're a, a showrunner, you kind of have to figure it out on your own. They'll give you a line producer sometimes and you you hope that they will know what to do. But but yeah, it's like I, there's been so many productions I've heard of or been on, but where it's just like feels like a kind of a mess. And you're like, how did it get to this point? And why did the studio not ever try to step in and help correct some of these things when they've been around for you know decades in some situations so it's just like 
it's, it's crazy to me. It, it's more of just an observation than anything, but I just think it's, it's funny. People online will complain about this or that and how the show has inconsistencies or whatever. And it's just like, dude, like it, it's a team of people just like struggling to figure out how to do this every single time. Mm-hmm. It never gets easier. It's always a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super dependent on people just drawing from their own previous work experiences. I mean, this is kind of similar to what you were getting at, but then if a show has, you know, a brand new showrunner with no co-EP kind of tagged along with them, um, a brand new showrunner with, let's say, like a first time line producer and like a first time production manager, they could all three of them could reach out to other showrunners who are more experienced or other LPs who've, you know, line produced multiple shows or other PMs who've been right. a PM on multiple shows as much as possible. But then if they themselves don't have their own prior experiences to draw upon, yeah, it's going to be a new learning curve for all three of them. And it's going to be a different type of flow than a show with a really, really veteran you know, animator, uh, show creator with an LP who's been producing for 20 years and like a PM who's done it before. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between coordinator or assistant coordinator and manager and line producer? Like what kind of duties do they have? Yeah, like the nice thing about production is that it's kind of like a pretty straightforward ladder. And so if you're kind of looking for career growth, like I've I've always really liked production because right. I'm a very like time oriented person. And so mm-hmm. it was kind of clear, like, okay, I'm going to be a PA for, you know, one and a half to maybe like two years. And then I'm going to be a coordinator for two to three years. I want to be a PM now for um, at least like at least in my mind at the moment, I want to be a PM for at least like three to four productions, um, which would range anywhere between like five to seven years. And so I always really enjoy that. But anyways, back to your question. So PA kind of help most with just like the day-to-day tasks, a lot of checking in with artists, a lot of setting up meetings, a lot of basically any, any task that allows workflows to continue to be run smoothly yeah um the coordinator above them is usually the one that lists them lists to the PAs what they need to do and the coordinators are the ones that see kind of more like bigger structure things of okay like this needs to happen we're coming up on this date to do this meeting and so they will most likely have that forecast of being proactive to set those things up and making sure that happens and instructing the PAs to set it up properly. And those two positions work very closely together a lot of the times um, in my experiences, especially if I'm working in a production team where you have one PA designated to a coordinator, you get very, very close with them. And like, I look very, very fondly back at my memories of being a coordinator on Loud House and having uh, Gabrielle Dolby uh, there by my side as my PA. And like, as a coordinator on CASA, I grew very, very close with Princess Bizarres. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just, it's just people that you work with every day to make sure that things are running smoothly. And you work on breakdowns together. You make sure that artists are um, completing their assignments on time and s- seeing that assignments are 
being completed fully in order to be shipped on time. And yeah, basically the very nitty gritty hands in the dirt to making sure that everything is happening. The production manager above them is in charge of overseeing deadlines and making sure that is all being hit. And they will get involved with the more nitty gritty day-to-day production stuff if needed, because a production manager is supposed to be that support for the PAs and the PCs, um, especially if um, they they need to learn um, like the production pipeline, if it's like their first time being on a production team, the production manager is in charge of training them up and they should have that experience drawn from their previous coordinating or PA experiences to teach um, their team sufficiently. Essentially, the production manager kind of like, I guess this is how I see it in my head. Um, so the PA and, oh. There's happy. <laughs> that's, that's a real happy bark right there. <laughs> that's how high-pitched oh, it is. Yeah. Well, I am a large man. No, I'm not. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I will try to keep her from barking. Okay, bye, happy. Um, bye, happy. Sorry, she was really upset because my boyfriend just gave me spaghetti and pasta. And she was <laughs> like, where's oh, my how serving? dare you not give it to her? Um, but back to what I was saying so like how I see like PAs and PCs working in harmony and working very very closely with one another it's kind of that same level of relationship between PMs and LPs so it's super duper important that there's kind of like a harmony not only kind of like work style but also personalities because the positions naturally grow very close to one another And yeah, like I kind of see being a PM slash LP as these two things. You're given resources and essentially like limitations drawn out by like the network or, you know, whatever studio that you're producing this animation for. And then you take those guidelines and limitations that you have and kind of diverse it like divert, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, Allocated as needed to help be the best resource and process for your team. And so I think a lot of people, when they see like, well, I don't understand why they just don't put more, you know, like I don't understand why the LP or like the PM isn't putting more money into this or asking for more money. A lot of the times that kind of stuff is completely out of their, like a lot of the times it's out of their control. You're just kind of like given these parameters and we're the ones that are working within it and structuring it best for uh, the rest of the team. Because I feel like this is something that is decided even before the PAs and and PMs and PCs are even hired, like budget and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And I feel like budget, like I feel like even the LPs don't have their yeah. their word to say, you know, yeah. on budget. That's like the it, studio, right? Yeah, it it yeah. really depends on what kind of studio that you're working with, for yeah. sure. So yeah, it's definitely not, it's definitely not on production. <laughs> production is trying their best to make it work. <laughs> yeah. What's, uh, what's your favorite aspect of working in production? 
Um, my favorite aspect of working in production is definitely being able to talk to everybody in so many different departments. Like I am such a big people person. I know that a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people in our industry can't really say that they're extroverts, but I am an extrovert and I also, um, oh, I can't draw on this jam board. I don't know what's happening. Um, but anyways, I really love having the opportunity to not only uh, talk to writers, but also the designers and also the editorial staff and also overseas. Like I get to communicate with people from like Korea or Canada, which is mm -hmm. like super duper cool and see insight on like what they do. And yeah, I feel like I've always had an easy time bonding with people regardless of kind of who they are. And so being able to meet so many different types of people like make me it makes me feel really really happy and especially if if I'm in a position where I can provide them provide people the resources they need to grow and thrive in their positions as well regardless of what department they're in it also makes me feel super happy and kind of fulfilled inside yeah well that's a great answer <laughs> Makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Well, you yeah. are very be beloved. I will say that. I feel like everyone that has had you on their crew is like, ah, Shin. Yeah, Shin's the best. It's just <laughs> the, you bring an energy, I think, to the shows that you're on that is very valued because everyone else is burnt out. And <laughs> no, but I and I also agree with the fact that what you're saying that being a people person, like I feel like for me on every on every crew I've been on and felt really supported by. Uh, production was always like when the PAs or or the production coordinators like would just kind of go out of their way to just say hi set up meetings just like let us know what's up and so so then like we know the face of like production and then it's like yeah it's so great to have someone like that you know mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah there's a weird like hostility between I think older artists and production because I think uh i don't know they they always feel like there is they're going to be like exploited by production but production is just trying to do their jobs and like yeah yeah i i really hope like that stigma is fading i I've think with younger artists never, i've never really understood why there was like an us versus them regarding like it's creatives versus production because how i've been taught production by all the mentors that i've had it's mm -hmm. like we are trying our best and our abilities to allow y'all to do your jobs the best that y'all can. Like if I'm working with a designer, like I want them to only design, like I want them to draw, like I don't want them to be doing like any part of my job or being worried about file name or structure or, or kind of yeah. like anything that like deal deal with anything that's like a roadblock from them getting to do what they need to do. Right. I just want to make people's lives easier. <laughs> that's good. I mean, I think it depends. I think some production people just like also have a chip on their shoulder. It, but it depends on people, you know, and like uh, and everything. And and again, it comes back to the, how productions are run. But yeah, I, something I've learned in dealing with in in working with production is that like production loves when you ask questions and like. I think that if you're if you're trying to work with the team to make their lives easier 
and and you know then they'll try to make your lives easier and it's weird when the productions almost separate the two and so artists are left to their own devices production doesn't really talk to the artists that's when you get the problems because then there's a breakdown of communication and so stuff gets muddy and confusing and like it's just good to just talk and encourage if you're in an upper level position it's good to encourage that kind of camaraderie and like you know and that's something that was good on loud house is that like we were a smaller crew which helped but i think also just had a good rapport and so i would if i had a question i would go to my production coordinator and like he was so happy that i was just like asking you know and like yes i do have the answer for you and then we would solve the problem together and it mm -hmm. created a nice environment and yeah like not to jump too ahead of the gun, but one of like the Twitter questions that we got was like, what's the best art, uh, what's the best thing artists can do to help support our production superstars? And I honestly think the biggest thing is asking questions if you have a question or if there is an issue or a problem that you're facing, like bring it up to production right away. Cause there's so many different things and factors that every single member of production is dealing with. And sometimes it might not come to our attention right away if there's kind of like a bump in the road. And so if it can be brought up to our immediate attention, like we will do our best to try to fix it for yeah. you um, at our yeah. earliest convenience, yeah. you know? That was from at Zekinet. Communication is key. Yes. Because it's also the thing is like sometimes, at least, I mean, for me coming from France where we had skeleton crews, like basically it was just like, you have a deadline, uh, you have X amount of work to do, and that's it. That's all. That's all you get. You, you gotta, you just gotta make it. But here in the yeah. US, what's great is like, if you're seeing that you're not going to be able to make it as an artist, reach out to production. They have so many tools available. Mm -hmm. Maybe they can hire a freelancer. Who knows? Maybe they can give you a couple extra days. Maybe, you know, there's something that can be worked. Like maybe they can pull an artist from another task that is like that artist is ahead of schedule and then they can come help you out and i don't know i'm just saying like what Shin was saying reach out production will yeah. help you they know what's going on <laughs> just be cool man just like everyone's in it together we're all trying to just make fucking cartoons who cares <laughs> it was just like what i'm saying is that like yeah. as artists also you know as artists like sometimes you feel bad that you're not meeting a deadline and you're like this is gonna look so bad on me they're gonna fire me yada yada yada, yada. oh i see you know like sometimes no like if you can't make it yeah just say it and mm -hmm. that's what production is there for they're that's, gonna yeah. help and most yeah. most of the times, honestly, if if people are worried about deadlines and stuff, like production teams, a lot of production teams that I've worked on um, do a lot of forecasting and can predict when episodes are super heavy anyways. And so if you come up with an issue and you're just like, well, I really can't meet this deadline. This is a lot for me. And majority of the time, they will not be surprised. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah. like, oh, yeah, that that was expected. Let us yeah. see what we can do to help you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in my experience, anytime something there's been an issue, I am not the only one that's had it. Like, it's usually like, yeah, we know. Like, it's like, it's just, it, it, it's good to, to vocalize it because then I think production people can also take it up the line to their bosses and be like, I've had three different artists complain about this. Like, we need to fix this or whatever. You know, it's an example. But um, yeah, it's to be just be vocal. It, it, it's a team effort. Yeah, I think we should get into questions because there's a lot of great ones. Yeah. Mm hmm. 
And I think you're, you're a, a well of information. <laughs> we had a good question from at Cadet Katie, a couple, we answered one of them. Uh, the other one was, they're wondering what studios look for in a person that's wanting to be a PA. Um, wanting to be a PA. So it's helpful if they have had previous internship experience and familiarity with at least like the general like skeleton of of a production pipeline but it's definitely not necessary like I've helped hire many many PAs and even like coordinators who don't come from an animation background even I think the biggest thing that always stands out to me at least within interviews is passion for what they are doing definitely yeah I will hands down work with someone who is so jazzed to be helping make this like (laughs) wonderful animation for future generations of kids. Like I would, yeah, I would work hands down with a person like that rather than someone who maybe comes from an internship experience and is like super snobby and cocky about what they know. And like, you know, um, like personality is definitely a really big thing because um, and passion for for what you're doing is a big thing because we all work so closely together and teamwork just matters so, so much. And um, I know this wasn't technically part of the question, but it kind of relates to it. Like, I think a great, great, great PA is a person who is also very proactive in doing their tasks, especially if they come across a problem. Because most of the time, um, especially if you're you're working on like an episodic show um, and you have like episodic PAs and coordinators, uh, you're handling like multiple episodes that are on multiple stages of the pipeline. And like, I've always really appreciated it when a PA is like, hey, we have this problem, but I've like tried to figure out like three different solutions for it. Could you see which one's like the best way? Um, Kind of always coming up with like a, hey, but, et cetera, et cetera, rather than just being like, hey, we have this problem. And then they just kind of like put that monkey on my shoulder (laughs) to fix. Like, I don't mind helping fix it, but like, hey, could you, can you put in a bit more effort because we're all busy here? Yeah. So that's always been a quality that I've really appreciated in like past production people that I've worked with. That's just a good quality to have in general. I think like if you're, if you're always seeking to do a little bit more to help the next person down the line, it'll, it'll go a long way. Like it'll just make you easier to work with. Mm-hmm. I, I, I always tried to consider the, the, the colorists that would have to color the backgrounds, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm going to make this file a little easier to work with just because I know they have to do 40 of them or more. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like if a designer is like doing a, you know, like the, the black and white design, like, yep. like complete your lines, like fill in those gaps. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> little things like that. It's like, hey, like that, yeah. please do. Yeah. Finish the fill stuff like that. Yeah. Or, or separating the spot blacks so that it's like easier to color. There's just like so many. And that was something that I, I went and asked the the colorists i was like hey or the painters the bg painters i was like what would make your lives easier and they just told me this 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 and i think that goes across the whole crew just just like try to just make the effort <laughs> i don't know mm-hmm. put in an effort from at Ma- uh, magic bunny art megan boyd who was on the show yeah 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 friend mm-hmm. of the show do you have any tips advice for artists who pursue personal projects on how to go about planning their own production schedules that's an awesome question Wow. Yeah, that's a great question. 
I would definitely say like, if you've worked within any crew before and have any sort of relationship with like the PM or LP that you've worked with, like reach out to them to see if they offer, if they can offer any advice or at least provide insight on what the structure is like. I know that a lot of people have their own kind of like general copy of like an overlap waterfall schedule. And if y'all don't know what a waterfall or like overlap schedule is, um, it's basically from like the very, very, very beginning of your, you know, show or- oh, let's draw it. Let's go to the next page and actually draw this. <laughs> Are you gonna draw it? Actually, if any of y'all have watched um, Avatar, like the last airbender, there's this really, really funny scene and episode that <laughs> yeah. I'm not really sure if a lot of people are like, can like a lot of people have caught it, but um, Sokka, he opens up this really long scroll and it's actually a production overlap schedule. <laughs> That's really, yeah. I remember seeing that screenshot. It's really funny. It's really uh, funny, but yeah, essentially, yeah. So it's kind of like that with like a bunch of, yes, like a bunch of lines that essentially is like the beginning of a week to an end of a week. And it's like that from the very beginning of the season or series and then it's like every single episode all the way to the end of the series or um if, it, if it's you know like a limited series or at least like the end of the season and so it's a, it's a lot of boxes and there's a lot of different colors as well because it's like divided usually up into writing into then like story mm -hmm. then into design then into like color, then into like ship, then like this giant space. Oh, I'm running out of space now, like animation. Um, and then there's like post. the post end of things, which also is a different beast. You guys should uh, interview like a post-production supervisor or something. Yeah we, yeah, we have plans to talk more about different aspects of the process because like, yeah. it's all important. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, that don't know much about animation, they kind of think that everything's, everyone's working, like everyone's working on one episode at a time or that it all happens really fast. So, you know, th that's, that kind of stuff is insane in South Park ruined people's perceptions of production schedules. It's in reality, it's, yeah, it's, it's a year. And in the beginning, it's usually just a showrunner and maybe the art director, whatever. And it's just episode one, or it's even pre-production. It's like, you know, just figuring stuff out. Then you mm -hmm. kind of start, you start this, moving target of doing stuff and yeah. uh there comes a point you know you can kind of see it on the illustration here where it's like there are like six episodes being produced at once and so everybody that's in charge is overseeing all these different things all at once and it's like that's the busiest time is when it's like so many things all happen and it's all at different points mm -hmm. of, yeah the, of the of the production pipeline and that's why like an overlap schedule is so nice to have and to see, because let's say like, you know, I'm looking at like specifically this week, right? Then yes. it's like, okay, episode one is in like this stage and episode right. two is in the beginning of this stage. Episode three is in the middle of this stage and episode four is in the very beginning of this stage. So that's how you, you are able to read an overlap schedule. Like it looks super overwhelming from like first glance, but once you just go by it line by line, it's, it's definitely much easier to understand yeah it's a it's a map it's a map of, that shows you where everyone is on their quest <laughs> where mm -hmm. each episode is a is a character on a quest and you can 
figure out where they are. Mm-hmm. And um, in regards to like the original question um, that was like asked for like, you know, personal projects, um, I think something that I mean, off the top of my head, and this is just me personally saying this, that would help is like, if you already have a script completed of your project and like do a script breakdown and see exactly or like try to predict how heavy your project is going to be and then that will give you more insight in regards to like how much time each department would need because if you have like a super duper let's say like intense script that is going to be very asset heavy like most likely like design will need to be longer to account for that. If it's like, you know, very simple and straightforward, like maybe it doesn't need to be as long, et cetera. And so um, I would say to, to dig deep into the script first and see like what you're actually kind of um, dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Just planning things out. It, yeah. I mean, it, and it's incredibly hard to predict what you're going to need, but always double whatever you think however much time you think it'll take because it's always easier it's always better to have that buffer than to have not enough time <laughs> that's just how i feel that's just from my experience yeah only if a lot of studios could see it that way too but uh, yeah I mean, well <laughs> money is money is a limited resource <laughs> money is a limited resource but i think there's a lot of money wasted on stuff that isn't important you know and and um but also like early on we were lucky on loud house that we had skip weeks built into our schedules which is insane apparently oh my gosh that was so <laughs> yeah it's like design had you know six weeks uh of actual work and it was two weeks per episode and then we would have a week where we was it was like a catch-up week but really it was just do nothing and then uh boards kind of had like that uh prep week which is pretty much do nothing week and uh boy is that helpful and i'm sure for production it's huge too because it lets you catch your breath and kind of like you know catch up on things and mm-hmm. it's a hard thing to sell because it's like well what are they doing at this time like executive smoking a cigar but <laughs> but it's like but it's a creative job and you need that wiggle room and things always stack up and you run out of time and like it's good to honestly just... especially especially on season ones like you can never like yes. you if you can't get in a uh, skip week like you know between the half seasons between like like having just like a couple of weeks not like a hiatus but like a couple of weeks to breathe in because then like maybe you can have like some of the board artists that finished early to go help on another heavy episode or do notes on like episodes are still going or like have some designers like finish assets for a super heavy episode or like stuff like that Like if that, you know, like I know sometimes it's not possible, but like, ah, gosh, dang it. Like having those weeks just, yeah, makes it so much easier on everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely a luxury. Yeah, no. It is a luxury. Yeah, I know. Got a question from at Devon1224. Do you, Shin, want to work in any other side of the animation world or are you content with production coordination? Uh, Also, what is the most difficult part of production to you and are you interested in working on a non-animated project or is animation your home? So there's three questions, but uh, I, can remind questions. You. I can remind you what they were. They're all good questions. Do you want to work in any other side of the animation world? Like I've thought about, I mean, cause I, I draw a little bit. I don't draw a lot. You're a good artist, Shin. Uh, no, 
I know you, you, I know you like squirm, but you are a great artist. And that actually, I think that helps you because you understand the, the art side of things, which is great. I guess. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> but anyways, um, do I, yeah, I've like, have been curious a long time ago. I remember, especially when I was kind of like year two slash year three of being in this industry, I was like, what if, what if I, what if I try, what if, what if I try to see what the design route is like, but then I'm also like very stubborn in the way that once I kind of have like a focus, I like to stick by that (laughs) kind of like a, the, the sunken cost fallacy, you know, like the more that I invest in it, I can't lose it because I've invested myself in it too much already. Definitely. Um, so I was just like, I've already worked this, like this, like this hard so far in this specific route of, um, animation. So I'm just going to stick by it and I'm going to see what I could achieve. (laughs) So I don't think I will really venture into anything else in regards, I guess, specifically the animation side of things. But in terms of like career wise, I've also have been doing recently a lot of self-reflecting on what I love most about production. And if any of those traits and qualities that I've honed can be transferable in different departments, like, like recruiting or you know, Mm -hmm. the more executive side of things like current series, like at Nick, um, I've been having a lot of informational with different people in different departments. So I've been, I've been kind of curious, but for the most part, as of right now, I think I'm still pretty production focused. What is the most difficult part of production to you? It is, I think the most difficult part is when the going gets rough, you know, like when working in animation is fun and we should like, I, I never want to take it for granted, but like, it does get hard. Like it's a job and things need to be made for the networks. And if, you know, an episode is super duper heavy and I know that it like really, really bogs down our designers. Like I really hate seeing like anybody's spirits like fall just because they have such a heavy episode and they feel so guilty about not completing it in time or not doing their job well like I don't want anybody like I'm such an empath like I don't want to see anybody feel upset Uh, but yeah when when resources and times are limited and people's like spirits do fall because that happens honestly like quite often in a number of studios like it's not really a surprising experience for a lot of people anymore it's like I I want to help as best as I can and we are going to try you know as much as we can with the resources that we have to help people but it's not always a perfect world and we can't solve everything in the way that a lot of people ideally would like things to be fixed that's probably the most difficult part. Uh, are you interested in working on a non-animated project? Nope. <laughs> I don't want to go into anything else. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're you're passionate about it. Yeah, I don't I don't want to go into like live action or or into mm-hmm. really any type of like TV media or film. I really do feel a special connection towards animation specifically. So I would like to stay in it as long as people like me. <laughs> Yeah. What's some of your favorite uh, animated stuff? Like what, what, uh, what inspires you? I love 
family content that both children and adults can draw from. So, I mean, like, I really, really love Steven Universe and Gravity Falls, like Star versus the Forces yeah. of Evil, like Over the Garden Wall, Flapjack. I know it sounds, <laughs> I, I hope I um, don't seem like one of those kids, but I was like such a fangirl of literally all these series. Oh, but Shin, you are one of those kids. <laughs> but like it's so it's been such a strange experience being a professional in this industry because I was such a fan of all these series before I ever had like a first real job and so as I was working and experiencing different types of crews and working with more and more artists and I started working with artists that worked on these series I would try so hard to gather my composure and to make (laughs) sure that I I'm treating them like a person, which like, of course, like everybody deserves to be treated normally, but I didn't want to like. Yeah, no, I, I think that's out. admirable. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny because they're probably just, they like, it was a job they hated or, or, you know, that was stressful. And like, when I think it's good, I think it's nice to hear when people uh, really liked something you worked on, you know? So it's like, or like, honestly, shame. even V. Like, I remember before V came over to work with us in studio, when I heard that she was actually going to be in studio with us, I I freaked out the week before <laughs> she came. <laughs> That's so funny. I was like, oh my gosh, I've been following her on the internet for such a long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, and flash forward a year, like I'd be on your couch in your office talking to you about boy problems. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do. That's yeah. what we do. That was that was the therapy couch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we would walk in and just be like, man, I don't know what, where my life is going. <laughs> and I would like v bother had... you with my books. I was like, read this. Yeah, book. I was going to say, V has some new self-help book that's like, discover your inner wisdom. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay. We got a question from at Adam T. Katz. Biggest thing you learned from Centaur World in production. Oh. Well, I learned a ton on Centaur World. Like my my PM and my LP, Lewis Cuck and uh, Stephanie Chacon, like both of them are rock stars and they've given me so much knowledge. If I had to choose like one of the biggest things that I've learned is that this job can use math to make things easier. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, explain I explain that, yeah. Well, okay. So when I was on Casa and Loud House, we essentially got like, you know, the storyboard. We broke it down. And regardless of uh how many assets the episode a- had, we usually allotted, you know, like two weeks for design, right? And like a specific yeah. amount for color, like a week for color styling and stuff. And it was just kind of like a given allotted amount of time that was always set for every single episode. And if it was like a heavier episode, we still had that same amount of time versus if it was like a lighter episode, you always had two weeks. On Centaur World, Steph taught me how to use essentially it's like basic math but it's so fun for me to calculate this essentially it's like seeing how many assets you have for an episode 
and the artists, their personal daily average of how many assets that they can get completed within Whoa. a day, you divide how heavy that episode is by that number to see how long they take to complete that specific episode. And if it takes them longer than you expect them to, then you allocate however many designs you need to the other artist in order for your team to complete on time for that episode. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's I think it's it's so fascinating and I've I've just never done that before and it's something that I carried on with me when I went over to Fairfax and it's something that I'll definitely carry on with me throughout future productions because it it just gives you a very realistic sense like okay if this person can complete you know three character designs a day and we have 15 character designs like we know they should be able to finish this within a week and if they don't finish that within a week then um and like you know obviously nobody has like perfect weeks you know some people might be in like a slump where they work a little bit um more behind so like we're definitely not like micromanaging in terms of like whoa they fell behind just like this one week, like what's wrong with them. But if there's like a continuous pattern of people not meeting their quotas, as they usually do, then that's when, you know, conversations occur. Um, Being like, hey, like not to point fingers on like, you did this wrong, but more of a conversation like, hey, like, are you okay? Like, what's up? Like, is something happening? Is there anything we can do to help you? But yeah, that's how, that's how math can be used. And it's really cool. <laughs> Math is great. Do you, how do you usually, we usually ask about creative block, but I think it applies to production as well. And like, how do you work through problems when they come up in, in the pipeline or whatever? That's such a broad question. Uh, can you give me an example question. of a problem? <laughs> I would say like, like for me, creative block is usually something that I think is kind of like usually very tied to emotions. And like, let's pretend you're in production and then you start getting overwhelmed because there's like so many fires to put out or something like what is it that you do to kind of like see that problem and kind of get over it you know as a person as a person like not not as a show or you know yeah Mm, I yeah it's very easy to feel like overwhelmed in like the production world for sure I usually get through it by first checking in with myself and telling myself like it's it's not all on me and it's never all on me it's a it's a team effort and if things need to be kind of reassigned like in terms of tasks to other people to help me out with like my workload then that definitely you know is is an option I also really really like sticky notes and I really really Mm -hmm. like I don't know if y'all remember like my old cubicle like back at Nick but I had sticky notes literally like everywhere like on my monitor on my desk on my whiteboards um and like for me, I know that for the average person, it probably looks really messy, but for me, it was like an organized messy, you know? And, mm-hmm. and once sure. I kind of completed like a thing, um, I would just kind of like rip off the sticky note and throw it away. And usually I really like starting with the smaller kind of tasks first that kind of help warm up my brain before I get into the harder stuff. 
Um, and so that probably usually provides a really good like personal workflow for me, like a slow steam into whatever workday that I'm heading into. But yeah, like, like I've been saying, production such a big team effort. And mm-hmm. as like a PA, and if I ever had, you know, an actual problem, I always had my coordinator to confide into. And as a coordinator, you have your production manager to confide into. And as a production manager, you always have your LP to confide into. So it's like always really great that there's always someone of kind of like higher experience and wisdom that you can draw from. That's always been such a cool kind of resource for production, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. That's really great advice. I feel like that's something that's, yeah, reaching out to your supervisor and just kind of being like, hey, so <laughs> how are we, we going to do this? <laughs> your help. <laughs> one, I think there was one more question that might be good uh, from at Ben Van Camp. They asked, does being an artist or having experience in other creative medium medium slash environments play a significant role in choosing a PA? Does being an artist or having experience in other creative mediums slash It depends on the project. I've definitely seen plenty of like hirings happen where let's say the show is looking for a PA and we're starting to get into the post end of things. And we interview someone who has not specifically like post-production experience, but even just like as an animator, like doing animation retakes for um, the post process um, that shows us that, you know, they've worked within it before. And even though they don't know the production side of things, like they still generally know what it entails like that side of the process and yeah we've like hired them because of that experience that they had so for sure it it definitely regardless of like where it comes if you can if you have transferable knowledge that can be used within to to help you make you know smarter decisions within production or provide insight into production, then then we'll definitely factor that in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then from at Kimi Robin, can you talk about a non-linear journey as in wanting a career that is unrelated to your major or degree? Can you talk about a non-linear journey? I guess wanting- you kind of did. We already talked about it. Yeah, yeah. Like I was originally a marketing major and I okay. fell into animation because I couldn't make any marketing major friends. <laughs> I think, do you feel like the knowledge that you got from marketing helped you in your production journey? Like, is are there like skills that you learned that are useful? I mean, I think for sure, like being professional and knowing how to be professional and knowing how to conduct um, myself in front of certain types of people or how to conduct myself within emails right. definitely, definitely helped. I, because <laughs> it's, it's honestly like, I don't know, you'd be surprised how many people do not know how to write an email or do not know how to conduct themselves professionally in oh, a very specific, and specific environment. And like, I, I get that I mean, like, I guess I understand, like, you know, people not having exposure to, to that to know, but it's definitely something that I take notice of 
if I see an intern like emailing me and it's, it is professional and it is very courteous and respectful of like my time. It's something that I do notice. And I feel confident to say that being in business school helped hone these kind of skills for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really agree. I mean, I feel that as an, as a, an artist, like I feel like I'm learning on the job how to be like politically correct and know like the secret codes of business <laughs> and I'm like all right well I this is a knowledge I don't have <laughs> what kind of secret codes of business do you need to know V just like you know how to ask questions like what you were oh. saying you know like you know the way like there's a very specific ways of in a meeting asking a question oh okay, you know? like you know like sure. like there's a way like for me like in France there's not really that like I I ask a question like like in my head there's a question and then it just comes out of my mouth oh, that's uh, you know there's like no like I like it doesn't like I don't I I had to learn the brain part to the added little piece to be like, like the subtext well, yeah you know like first mm. you add the little nice thing and then the nuance, you really yeah. you really hide the problem under a lot of layers yeah <laughs> it's still in there uh, but yeah. also you also offer a solution but you don't say that you came up with a solution you put it under a mm -hmm. question so that they can say yes or no and then it is their solution not yours that, like that kind of stuff like yeah. for me like that was like i was just like what I had to ask like a million people and read books and stuff to be like, eh, eh. yeah, I also <laughs> have like so many sources and references and like books about <laughs> about all that stuff and, and like managing, managing tone, um, managing mm -hmm. people, different types of personalities. If they are a very, if they have like a specific type of personality or specific set of values and how to approach them with like a specific problem to tailor to like, you know, to them understanding that the best that they can. Right. Yeah. yeah it's very interesting. It's a, it's a skill set. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. What kind of goals do you have for the future? kind of goals well it's interesting you're you're kind of this interview is kind of catching me at a very interesting time of my life and I, I it might be a little interesting for you guys to hear too since we all have been friends like really close friends ever since I was a, a PA like on mm -hmm. Loud House I don't know if y'all remember but I used to be like oh my gosh like I'm a Slytherin, so I'm like super ambitious. I'm yep. gonna be a PA and I'm gonna be a PC, then I'm gonna be a PM and I'm gonna be an LP yep. and I'm gonna keep on climbing up the ladder. And one day I'm gonna be a VP of like an animation mm -hmm. studio and I'm gonna show people that I can do it. <laughs> and and a lot of that drive was kind of coming from within myself and within kind of uh, I guess like a slight Napoleon complex to show people mm. to not undermine me because I am like Asian. I am a woman. I am, I'm, I'm short. I look also young. Yeah, sure. And so I've had people undermine me a lot throughout my life. And a lot of it came from a lot of this ambition came from like spite and came from uh, wanting to prove people wrong. And, but as I continued working through and, it's, you know, started gaining more experience throughout my career, that kind of uh, source 
like that as a source to continue my like drive and ambition is not enough and is not sustainable. And I have kind of come to a weird place in my life now where I have kind of realized I don't need that. And of course, I'm still going to work really hard because that's just kind of that natural self in me. I'm going to put in my best foot forward however I can, especially to help others. But I'm not going to do it out of my own selfish kind of desires and passions. And, you know, other people, if that's, you know, if that's your drive, go for it completely. Like, I'm not I'm not trying to um, dishearten anyone who's, you know, trying to make it out on their own for their own. But like for me personally, like now I kind of see my future being able to really be a support to give other people their voice rather than just making people hear my voice, if that makes sense. And I definitely still, you know, like I, I want to represent my voice, but out of more like humility and understanding for people around me and considering them rather than kind of being focused on myself. I don't know if that makes sense. Makes um, sense. It's like, I've, I relate to that a lot. I feel like, you know, it's like, I would say like the artist equivalent of that would be like, I want to have a show to have a show. And then it's like, wait a minute, you just want to be in power you know and then it's like do you really want to tell a story or do you just want to be a tyrant you know (laughs) so it's kind of I guess that would be the equivalent of that (laughs) yeah yeah it is is funny how many people treat having a show as like an end game for their career and not something that is just like you know telling a story and like having something to say it's it's bizarre Mm-hmm. Uh, considering how hard and agonizing it is to make cartoons but uh no i think that makes sense and i think ultimately that's what production does it supports it supports people who are you know creative and that's that's their life purpose and uh i i admire that a lot i think i think that uh you are probably my favorite production person i've ever worked with sorry everyone else <laughs> oh, no. sorry I thank you. I'll I'll take that compliment. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that you have a an energy that's really infectious and um and watching you like you you're shooting up that ladder. Do you still want to follow that path you were saying of like working in production or being a manager for, you know, a few years and then trying to work up to line producer? Is that something that's still kind of Yeah. Um I definitely am still that's probably what I'm thinking about the most. Um, however, I guess like, I'm not super ashamed, you know, I like, I'm not ashamed to say that like, in hopefully relatively close future, like I also like want a family and I want to be there for my family and I want to be there for, you know, future kids that I have. And I know like, depending on the project, like really a lot of projects are very, very different, but, um, like your role as an LP, like, you have to like, you have to be there for your team. Like you have to be responsive and kind of on the clock all the time to help facilitate any problems that the show might be having. And I will try my best, but if I don't see that as 
a proper fit with you know balancing like work life yeah then I don't know we'll we'll see what happens (laughs) well you know life is unpredictable yeah And, and you'll figure out those priorities when you get there but yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a good goal, I think. And you're like you said, the, the production has such a clear like ladder and and um, it's up to you how high you want to climb it if it's worth it to you at the end <laughs> of the day. <laughs> well, I think that's the end of this creative block. <gasps> wow. Thanks to Shin for being our guest and sharing her story. And yeah. thanks to your listeners. Follow us on Twitter. It's at creative block, creative without the vowels where we ask for drawing prompts and questions to ask our guests. Huge thanks to my sister Clement just for editing the podcast. Please subscribe to the channel if you love our content. I've been your host, Gene. And I was B, keeping creative, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.